0: Coming up this week, we look at series in Namibia and South Africa disrupted by Omicron, wrap the UAE's successful campaign at the Women's T20 Asia qualifiers, and look ahead to upcoming qualification tournaments for the Commonwealth Games and the Men's T20 World Cup in 2022. But first, we'd like to give a big thank you to our newest patrons, Aaron Kane and Samir Padeval. It's generous people like Aaron and Samir that help us to shine a light on all the news around cricket's emerging world. So if you like what you hear, do think about supporting Emerging Cricket on Patreon, with contributions from as little as $2 a month to help keep the website running and the stories flowing. To sign up, just head to Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Emerging Cricket. And now, it's on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Nick Skinner and I'll be standing in for Daniel Beswick in the next couple of episodes with poor old Bez completely swallowed up by the ashes and the big bash seasons. Uh, I am joined this week by Tim Cutler though over in Vanuatu, just back from the golf course and it's, gee, it seems like a tough gig working in uh, this lovely Pacific Island. Jeez, yeah. You know how to set a guy up, don't you? <laughs>
1: yes, I did have a hit on the golf course. And by the time you listen to this, you can pretend it is, it's a weekend day, as everyone may be listening to this on a sunny Saturday. But uh, yes, um, I was actually shaken awake last night. And for any earthquake watchers out there, they might work out what day of the week we're recording this. But yeah, we had a 4.9 magnitudes oh. earthquake strike, about, I don't know, 50 Ks or something uh, south-southwest. of villa, or at least a Vafate. villa's on and uh yeah so it's the first time i've been shaken awake so that's a interesting little tidbit of living here on the uh edge of the ring of fire and basically getting shakes every week but apart from that yes (laughs) (laughs) things things are going okay
0: Yes. I mean, earthquakes are something you never really think about as an Australian, eh? Because, I mean, nope. I know when I was in Chile visiting uh, with my mate and some of his family and because he grew up in Australia, we, we both were kind of freaking out when this little earthquake happened and, you know, the, everything was rattling on the shelves and mm-hmm. the picture frame was shaking and we we're kind of looking like panicking and they're going, oh, no, it's fine. It's just a little one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just such a strange experience.
1: No, it's similar. The first time it happened, I just remember this really eerie feeling of unease because who was these things that you know you know when you stand on the ground it's firm mm. when you're in the water you know it's it's, <laughs> it's wet um these things are assumptions in the in your head you know these are the things that I operate with and when the world starts shaking it's like i'm not quite sure what to do I was, <laughs> and I, I don't know what to do like everything that i took for granted has now changed because one of those things you get you get over pretty quickly what well, most people do. I'm sure there are some people that never deal with it, but um, yeah, it's more you shakes. And everyone looks around as like, oh yeah, that was a long one, or that was a, a big one. But I think because there haven't been many, so that people will say if you haven't had many for a while, it's concerning because it's almost like the little ones, a little pressure breaks. Um, and I don't know how how relevant that is. And if there are any geologists <laughs> out there out there can tell us if that's true or not of whether it's sort of like the earth just letting off steam. But reportedly, the way that the, the plates are going. And yeah, New Caledonia is about oh geez 350 kilometres I think in that same direction as to where the earthquake was down to the southwest and that's apparently going down and we're going up because the two plates are sort of pushing against each other and slowly kind of meaning that you know as global warming has an effect on on the earth I think uh, Vanuatu is one of the few countries in a good position because we're we're literally on the on the way up and it's not obviously anything to be taken <laughs> light of. But yeah, it's definitely an experience and it's just something you sort of tick off of living here. It's like, oh, another earthquake. And I guess that makes sense as to why there aren't sort of high rise buildings and why everything is sort of built on different technology in terms of slabs and and other buildings. So, and apparently we've got a cyclone warning um, coming in the next 10 days or so. So that's another thing that um, I haven't experienced. So if that well, we hope it doesn't happen, but that will be another thing to, to work through. but uh, yeah, that's pretty much me. How, how about you? The uh, no, we don't want to talk about full member cricket too much but the the ashes have started now with everything's going on. How, how are you fitting that between editing and writing EC stuff, cutting a podcast and, uh, and occasionally sleeping? <laughs>
0: Well, the Ashes, I just had that on in the background, which is kind of the, the summer tradition in Australia. So, that's nice to have that going. Uh, we're, we've hit December. We've got the Ashes. It's a, kind of a nice sense of normality. Even England being rubbish is a <laughs> bit of a return to my childhood. Um <laughs> But uh, yes, I, I actually uh, I watched an episode of Dark last night Trying to get back into the series Finally No, I, I watched I watched the first series when it came oh, out And then I, okay. I forgot about okay. it And then I, I got back into the second series about a year or so ago And then and forgot about it again And it's, I, <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic show But it's one that you can't really dip in and out of and So I spent about half of the time just reading the Wikipedia page <laughs> Reminding myself who's who Because there's so many characters And, and there's multiple timelines and it, it really is a, a, a very ambitious narrative project which is absolutely worth your time but it you, needs your full attention is, is the way I would put it.
1: Uh, and this is for everyone uh, at home not, not sure what we're talking about Dark is a Netflix series three series uh, and as. Is- Nick alluded to the sort of a, a time shifting element to it, without giving too much away. But based in a town in Germany, not far from a nuclear power plant, and yeah, it's up there for me. It's top three shows, and as you said, it's it is involved. I wouldn't say it I no. You sort of think complexity layers of. I was almost to say it's not as complex as Inception, but it actually is, and probably more so is the more that time goes on.
0: Well, because each series, they add more timelines and more characters. So. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like you have one... One licorice candy with layers. I can't remember the name of those. I should know this. I've eaten enough sugar in my life. It's like, and then, yeah, in series two, they smash another one on top and then another one. And you've got to keep, it, keep on track with it. But it's one of those things that you watch, and if you don't quite catch something, it's not like it ruins it either. You can kind of go along for the ride. But, yeah, great series. And the, and that the fact that they ended it after three seasons, I think, as well. And sorry, Ben Stinger. I know we're, <laughs> we're talking about TV shows. It's been a while. Yeah, but a while. look, there's only two of us, okay? We've got, we've got to fill in. So if you're thinking about things to stream over Christmas and you've watched Squid Game of which I haven't yet and uh, there's no cricket on I would suggest getting onto Netflix and watching Dark and if you're so inclined I would recommend watching it in German with the subtitles because you know I think the actors do a a wonderful job as opposed to watching the dub version Mm. but uh, no I'm glad that uh that you've watched have you watched trapped yet
0: oh, i've got a lot of things to to get through at the moment <laughs> anyway okay let's talk about cricket yes well <laughs> with last week's episode we dedicated it to the uh, the fallout from the icc's decision to cancel the women's world cup qualifier and how that shafted well it shafted most of the teams there but thailand especially so we, we missed a couple of other stories in the cricket world which also involve our new friend the omicron variant of COVID-19, uh, first up was the Cricket World Cup League Two Tri Series in Namibia, which saw the hosts facing Oman and the UAE. Uh, now, this was also meant to act as a catch-up for the matches that were postponed from the Tri Series hosted by Oman, uh, involving the same teams back in February of 2020. The the calm before the storm, you might say, uh, just before everything shut down, uh, and that was, of course, when Sultan Qaboos bin Saeed died, and the nation was in mourning. So, obviously, the cricket tournament was a very low priority so yes this was this was hosted in vintuk Uh, oman and namibia managed to get in two matches the first one the hosts got over the line they were bowled out for 228 Uh, jj smith the captain hit 56 of 60 to get them to a competitive total Uh, michael funlingen craig williams also made contributions their top order were looking very good and but they just kept getting out to quite soft dismissals and then in the chase oman yeah again losing repeated wickets jj smith in his first series as captain filling in of course with erasmus recovering from uh, the broken finger that he carried through the t20 world cup Uh, jj smith took five for 26 to help bowl out oman for 188 so that was a a good win for namibia in the first match Uh, in the second Again, some JJ Smith heroics, uh, but he couldn't quite get them over the line this time. Oman posted 291 in their 50 overs uh, for nine wickets. Ruben Trompelman copped some stick, but picked up five wickets, five for 70. JJ, two for 50. Bernards Scholtz, a bit under-bowled, uh, and this is sort of a, a point that I I thought was worth mentioning you know he went under 4 and over and he only got 7 overs which was a bit strange and I guess JJ's a bit inexperienced as a captain but uh, yeah in response Namibia Fell nine runs short, they got to 282 for nine. Uh, JJ Smith again in the runs, 94 of 72 balls. Uh, but when he went, they just struggled, they couldn't quite get there. And a good performance from the Amman bowling unit, especially you know, Mohammed Nadim took a couple of wickets, Zishan Maxood with his, with his spin. So, yeah, it was shaping up to be quite a good tri-series until, uh, you know, the, the virus issues derailed yet another cricket series.
1: Well, I guess when those matches were postponed originally, we thought, oh, geez, what else could go wrong in Cricket World Cup League 2? But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right in front of us. Um, so, it's another series postponed mid-series. It's like, well, yeah, another one. You know, we hadn't seen any for almost ever interesting to see, well I think it's great for, for JJ to come out and perform like he did, I think he's the first player to ever score a half century and take a fifer in their debut as captain, it might only be in men's cricket, I'm not sure if it's happened in women's cricket but definitely in men's ODIs which is Great to see that. Yeah, saying Green struggled a little bit, as we, we talked about during the World Cup, to get going. He got 47 or 52 in, in that second game where they just fell short. But that's good to see that he's got a bit of ball-striking ability back. And Bilal Khan uncharacteristically went for 65 in that in that second game. I just wonder, is JJ Smith batting at six? He scored 94 of 72. It's one of the last wickets to fall. Is he batting too low? Nicholas what do you reckon I know he's skipper and you know try to get so that's where he normally bats you know above him is Jan uh, Nicol lofty Eaton and Craig Williams again evergreen Craig Williams you know I thought 2 years ago he was going to retire and run his sports shop and cricket academy and here he is scoring 38 of 48 what do you reckon about JJ Smith in the batting order
0: well it's it's one that we we do often talk about and I think with David Visa coming in in the T20 World Cup JJ was a bit he came in at six, which is where he often bats, but you know, having a very similar kind of role from, from Visa as the finisher, uh, I think potentially kind of threw him for a bit of a loop there. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think he's definitely good enough to bat further up the order. And he he did bat a bit further up in some of their home series ahead of the World Cup. and I mean Namibia experimented with a lot of combinations in in those series and JJ was in astonishing form with the bat in those I think he averaged almost 100 and was striking at around 200 or you know something ridiculous like that but he yeah I I think the thing for JJ though is he really likes coming in in that back end and, and he it really suits him so it's not necessarily that he can't handle batting higher up it's just that that the way he plays uh, works very well to come in and and really lift the run rate in the last sort of 10 to 15 overs of a one-dayer or, you know, sort of, seven-ish of a T20 match and I mean honestly you look at the Namibian batting lineup and he shouldn't need to be getting them out of jail both times you know you you mentioned Craig Williams who looked really comfortable he was going along very smoothly in both those innings and he just you know got out to some pretty soft dismissals and again quite a lot of I guess ill discipline in in the way that Namibia was batting and that is something that uh, we we kind of talked about it as well in the the way that their approach of just going hard uh, all the way from top to bottom you know they can put up some huge scores but if if it goes wrong they can be a bit sort of complacent and oh yeah the next guy will get some runs Mm -hmm. um, when you know not necessarily if if you're getting out to to soft dismissal so that's potentially a concern although yeah when they're next going to get on the field (laughs) who knows with travel bans popping up left right and centre in Africa and I I wouldn't want to be trying to organise cricket in Africa at the moment uh, with with the way government's getting twitchy with the borders so
1: yeah absolutely I think that they're probably already considering or at least concerned about their movements to get out of... It's not even the country to get out of the region for Australia in 2022, but you know the two counterparts or the two opposition sides from that tri-series, you know, Oman and the UAE, and I know we're going to talk about this later on, but that, there's only two months until they're both playing at a World Cup qualifier. So I feel for them, especially the UAE, who didn't even get out on the field yeah. when this probably would have been the last ICC competitive cricket anyway before the World Cup qualifier and until then they're going to have to be organising their own matches before those series so yeah I think it's not only inconvenient from a Cricket World Cup League 2 point of view but also for those sides that are trying to lead into World Cup qualification albeit being a different format but we know how important time out in the middle is no matter what the format is is actually to get some match practice.
0: Yeah and I think that was one of the reasons Namibia did quite well in the T20 World Cup is because they had quite a lot of matches just, you know, out in the field and, and they had worked on their game and they, they knew what they were doing. Um, Yeah, it's interesting looking, you know, 1-1, I think Namibia probably would be a bit disappointed with that, but then I guess Oman on the flip side would also say they they had their chances to win both games, so maybe it's fair. I'd say it's a bit disappointing for Namibia in terms of their chances of overtaking Oman for, for the top spot, but then with a the Super League. Uh, looking like it's cancelled after the current edition, I guess, topping the group in Cricket World Cup League Two maybe isn't that important. And, and it's just being in that top four and, and making the, the overall qualifiers.
1: Yeah, who knows? We're still waiting to hear what the future of World Cup League cricket looks like. But I guess from their point of view, they've just got to try and keep winning as everybody would be and be in that top one. And, you know, if it changes, so be it. But no, you're right. And which is another, another reason why that news about the Super League it feels like such a long time ago. That was two podcasts ago when that being scrapped and this. There's nothing worse than something being well there is something worse than something being scrapped is when well it wasn't even that it's been scrapped it's just that we're using rankings instead of a, a tournament but okay that's fine but what's replacing it oh wait we don't know yet we'll, we'll tell you that soon so no tougher for them. i guess on that as well that um been a lot of feedback a lot of people contacting us not so much out of the blue but those that hadn't spoken to us in a while about last week's show and our pieces by nashad rod and, and everyone about the thailand situation so just a thanks to everyone for them reaching out and uh well i guess they were saying thank you for for the work that that everyone had done but uh, I think it was Bez that said when he tweeted you know even when there are things that aren't great I think they still need to be said and still need to be talked about but just as I was talking about the the ditching the Super League last week's podcast it came washing over me but um, no thank you to everyone who got in touch
0: yeah, it was um, it was it was therapeutic, I guess, talking about it. But uh, yeah, I th- hopefully there's more developments to come, and and maybe Thailand can can find some kind of uh, uh, appeals process or, or just something. But um, yeah, anyway, we'll leave that until we we hear more developments um, elsewhere in Southern Africa. And it's it's unfortunate that so much associate cricket was being played, really, in in the region, just as the travel bans are popping up. But the Netherlands had a series against South Africa. They played the first match, though it was washed out. A couple of overs into the Dutch innings before the other two games were possibly cancelled, possibly postponed. There's been a bit of mixed messaging on that. Uh, on the field, I think they'd probably be a little disappointed with their bowling effort. They conceded 277 in their 50 overs uh, with... Kyle Varane scoring 95 for the Sappers. Uh, and Dile Pellequeo hit 48 off 22, I think it was, to really boost their run rate after, after Viv Kingma bowled a good spell to to peg them back. So, yeah, a little bit disappointing on the bowling side. You know, Brandon Glover going for 2 for 70, that's that's not particularly great. But, you know, you, you can't read too much into one innings and then, yeah, they, they split the points with the rain coming down uh, with the score on none for 11. So, I guess traveling all the way to South Africa for 5 points and then possibly not having any games or I don't know if... I mean, CSA were being very flexible in terms of accommodating them. You know, they're paying for their hotels as long as necessary until they could get home. They were you know, willing to rearrange everything to get them on the ground. Like, I think we talk about Full members often being, you know, snubbing associates or or not being very good with them, but CSA were being very good with the Netherlands in terms of, they were bending over backwards, basically, to to try and get the games on the field. And then, yeah, I don't know, it's a strange choice for the Netherlands, I think, to not play. Um, They said that they weren't in the right mental state, and yeah, I mean, fair enough that they'd be distracted you know, why would you rather just sit there doing nothing while you're waiting for flights to start again? You know, I mean, they clearly they were going to be waiting one way or the other. And to me, it makes more sense to be actually playing the matches that you came here to play rather than just sitting, twiddling your thumbs in the hotel room. It's not like, I mean, are you more likely to catch COVID on a, cricket pitch than in a hotel i don't know yeah just very strange that decision especially since you know we were talking about how little cricket against full members they get and that's one of the you know the refrains from the netherlands is please give us more cricket and then they're sitting there refusing to play a series that the the full member is trying everything to get on the field so i thought that was very disappointing and and quite strange really
1: yeah it's tough one although you know i've spent all of 14 days in bubble life which was quarantine coming into vanuatu and haven't spent the the kind of time that the dutch team had before and around the world cup other events and and then down there so you know we talk about it a lot the importance of the sport looking after its athletes first and everything else coming second if this is a decision taken about the the mental health of the athletes then then great but as you say from the outside looking in it it did sort of seem that way but geez it's a tough one at the moment in terms of mental health and the and the strain on on these athletes and and support staff and let's also remember that these players the Dutch ones aren't necessarily all of them full-time pros and being used to this and and used to that amount of time away from family etc so I'm, I'm I'm just sort of bringing a sort of another perspective to it in that you know knowing a lot of those players as we do and the staff and knowing how keen they've been to be in this series I can't imagine any decision to not play that it wouldn't have been taken lightly and, and, it, and it would have been would have been considered you know I, I hope that there was no other issues in the background from a governance point of view or anything that, from home base any any lack of directional pressure with the sagas that are going on back at home or if there's any distractions there one can only hope that not the players and the staff are able to make the decision from the right perspective but um, yeah I'll just I'll sit on the side of that the decision was hopefully made in, in the for the right reasons and then inevitably it's the health of the players that are, that are paramount rather than trying to get cricket in if it's players aren't in the right place
0: yeah no that that's fair enough in terms of the mental health thing but I, yeah I don't know I mean I just if you're there to play cricket why would you want to sit doing nothing in a hotel room I mm. I just don't get it but I guess I haven't been in a bubble for for weeks or months so yeah. you've been
1: in the uh the Gosford bubble
0: only <laughs> <laughs> very different kind of bubble um but uh yes um on the women's side and yeah looking at a tournament that actually did run to its conclusion for a change um <laughs> what a
1: tournament that ran to its conclusion uh,
0: yeah I know <laughs> Uh, it's a bit of a rarity at the moment, but uh, yes, the, the UAE progressed out of the Asia uh, Women's T20 Regional Qualifier to next year's Global Qualifier for the T20 World Cup. This was a pretty interesting tournament with your old stomping ground Hong Kong coming runners-up. Uh, Nepal slipped to third after they were second to Thailand in the previous edition. Uh, we'll start with the UAE, and some people might be surprised that their women's team has suddenly qualified like this after being nowhere or relatively nowhere for a while, but it's actually been sort of slow, steady work for a number of years with a young team who've come up through their domestic talent system. It, it sounds counterintuitive, but is the UAE the next powerhouse of women's cricket, Tim?
1: Well, it may be a surprise to those that haven't been listening to us, but I know we've mentioned this a couple of times previously that...
0: Well, our, our listeners are always very well-informed, Tim.
1: No, exactly, exactly. I'm, it's like, and if you're new to the, the show, welcome. But I'm saying that this is something that has, has come up from time to time in that I go back to 2016 when Hong Kong hosted the Asia qualifier and the UAE women's team wasn't invited Mm. because at that stage it was sort of a quite a subjective choice of who's strong enough to be part of it and they weren't even invited and we look half a decade later and they're already well into events that uh, they... I don't think it's surprising anymore I expect them to be doing this actually and it was another one of those events where every team uh, at finishing on the table um, only beat the sides below them and lost to the teams above them so it was like perfect numbers running down the you know wins and losses was 4-3-2-1 <laughs> one, and 1-2-3-4 one, going down but yeah Hong Kong I wouldn't say that was a disappointing tournament for them to, to beat Nepal who they just seem to have not been able to beat in the last few years and really had lost only against the best team there they had tash miles back for for the first time in i think over a decade or i'm not sure she's actually ever played senior women's cricket for hong kong despite being born there and and her mother basically being the mother of of women's cricket in in hong kong who unfortunately lost a battle with, with cancer a couple of years ago and um and tasha I think she probably goes by Natasha officially, but um, knowing her as a friend, I guess calling her Tash. But uh, had had dreams of playing for England, and and that got in the way for her playing for Hong Kong. And as we well know, playing for Hong Kong doesn't get in the way of or well, being eligible for for certain four members, um, especially if it's a if it's an associate that she she could still be playing high level cricket in the UK. So that was great to to see her available again. And Mariko Hill, you know, is a is a superstar, and and there's some good players coming through there. So that's good for Hong Kong. They'll be disappointed that. They didn't go through. However, yeah, I think you are right. I know you kind of led me Led me to the door uh, in saying that. But with the UAE, on the men's side as well, with the underage team coming through, mm. beating Nepal again, because we look at Nepal with the numbers of fans, the number of cricketers, and the support that they have of, of being the almost de facto next power centres, or at least the, the up and comers. And the UAE have pipped them both, and then the men's underage, and, and now the women's.
0: Well, yeah, the UAE, um, it, it was a young squad with Teata Satish, top of the runs. Uh, she hit 165, and, and Kushi Sharma grabbed 10. Wickets to top the wicket tally. Both of them are 20 or under, and um, you know a lot of their core squad is coming through the UAE talent system and, and same for the men's, as you said. And so, I think that's a bit of a... <laughs> the, one one of the criticisms of the UAE is often, oh, you know, they're all expats, that old chestnut. But, you know, these guys and girls are coming through the domestic talent system and, you know, they've grown up their, their whole lives and they're, they're locals. And um, so, I think that's kind of the most impressive thing is that they're, they're doing it with a young squad and they're doing it with a, a homegrown squad. Uh, I guess Chimani... Senna Veritna was um, shepherding the youngsters. Uh, she's 43 years old and she played a test for Sri Lanka you know, way back when uh, when there were women's tests available for, for lower ranked teams. But um, yeah, I think it's an interesting side in that a lot of the names that were in that team, you know, five years ago when, when they weren't invited uh, are no longer there. And, and so, having the regeneration has really helped them. Your point about Hong Kong, um, I think... Yeah, Natasha Miles or Tash. Um, I guess I'm not on a first-name basis with her yet. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, she she looked pretty impressive with the bat, looked very, you know, solid... Technique. She'll be a good addition for them going forward if, if she's available and you know Hopefully. doesn't interfere with trying to um, get game time in in English cricket. Carrie Chan though, uh, you know she's she's a real star. She sort of a, a goes a bit under the radar, but Carrie Chan third on the runs tally and, and second on the wickets overall. She's a great player for them and always you know left arm wrist spinner. Everyone loves to see that. Um, yeah, so I, I mean Hong Kong they didn't do a whole lot wrong. Uh, you know they they couldn't get a, over the line against the UAE. UAE just better on the day that happens and yeah. I mean, you know, they were there or thereabouts in 2019. I think they came third behind Nepal and Thailand. But, yeah, Nepal, looking ahead, where where do they go next? You know, Sita Rana Magar was top wicket-taker and uh, run-scorer for them. I I think she might have picked up player of the tournament as well. Um, But aside from her, very threadbare. And, yeah, you mentioned the the power of cricket in Nepal and the the level of popular appeal it has. It it is strange that, that their women's team sort of struggles a bit and we talked about it at the time but you know when they came second and they only just missed out (laughs) no you know no one was at the airport to pick them up and there was very little fanfare compared to the the way that the men's team gets treated so that's um you know one inequality in the way that cricket's going in nepal although i know they have a lot of governance issues still so hopefully that's something that can get ironed out as the new uh, administration uh, gets into its work The, the other team i would mention is malaysia i'd yeah coming forth a bit disappointing with i mean they have a a contracted team now and and that was a very positive step a year or so ago in awarding central contracts to a bunch of their women's players and we have talked a bit about malaysia in the past in terms of um, having a very strong development program and and a lot of kids coming through who sort of drop out after school age and you know go and find work and, and whatnot and having trouble keeping talent so Maybe that's that, but it's quite a young team for Malaysia as well. So, yeah, I don't know, a bit disappointing for them.
1: Yeah, you're saying Malaysia is disappointing, uh, but I, on the flip side, it was really great to see Bataan there and they had a, a great victory against Kuwait, being them by 40 runs actually after posting 114 for six. And we see a lot of good news stories come out of Bataan with the work that they're doing and growing the game. In such a, a mountainous country as it is, and the, you know, population spread out uh, over the nation, so great to see them, and with some of the best kits in the world as well. Mm. You know, it's always great to see some great great kits. So, you know, we're keeping an, an eye on them. But uh, yeah, overall, just strange to see a tournament go the uh, <laughs> to go the whole way. But uh, you know, as you said about UAE, it's definitely a definitely a team to watch, and and even more so knowing that as you mentioned that uh, you know, all but basically one player are all, are all homegrown.
0: And um, yeah, just on Bhutan kits, they looked a bit almost a bit kind of Uganderish with the bright yellow and uh, yeah, the orange kind of streaks and um, yeah, very nice. One of the better flags in the world too, Bhutan, just quietly. But uh, yes, um, moving on to more women's cricket and the Commonwealth Games qualifier, some information has kind of accidentally leaked out through the Scottish uh, Twitter account. They, um, they mentioned that their women would be in action from the 14th of January. No other information, although there is some suggestion that the qualifier is going to be played in Malaysia. Um, I I don't quite know why we're finding out about this through, you know, (laughs) a a, a potentially uh, leaked... Uh, information from it from a tweet rather than a a press release you know if the tournament's happening a month away why are we not hearing about it but um you know you've got a bit of an inside track on this tim uh with with vanuatu being invited to the qualifier i I don't know how much you're allowed to reveal but um you know what's going on
1: i don't think it's state secrets you know we know that it's the first time that cricket's women's cricket's been in the commonwealth games and this is great and we all know that there's a global qualifier happening Um, At some stage, and uh, you're right there with about being Malaysia was the last the last time we heard, but um, yeah, a little bit different to your normal ICC event that is everything subsidised by the ICC, and you know you're selected by rankings or event criteria this one was a little bit different where the invitation went to all commonwealth nations um with some some criteria but there was a larger proportion of cost that needed to be paid by the participant which knocked us out of the water unfortunately Um, it would have been great to to be part of it um but that's that's as much as as i know i think i was keen to sort of see which teams were able to compete because this is great for cricket and we can only hope that down the down the roads there's a central pot somewhere whether it's managed by the Commonwealth Games Federation or each country's Commonwealth Games Olympic Federation but yeah I would be a little bit concerned about Malaysia you know we saw the Challenge League tie that was actually supposed to be happening right now Mm. postponed that that would have had Vanuatu involved and that was for a number of reasons you know us with our quarantine situation you know we can't get back into the country at the moment without two weeks quarantine so that basically knocked us out again from a financial point of view so I'm not sure what the the regulations are like in Malaysia at the moment last I checked I was still having lots of cases and still had a minimum seven days quarantine going in so you know there aren't too many countries that can afford that alone for a team a full team let alone everything else that needs to be paid but with Scotland posting it sounds like it's it's, it's happening whether it's Malaysia or, or, or somewhere else um, it'll be it'll be great to watch you know if it goes I think it will be going on rankings uh, which is probably the only way you can go on if if this event doesn't happen and which begs a question if you look down the, the list of teams that are qual- qualified and haven't and who's left is whether Northern Ireland will be be entering a team into this because you know Northern Ireland are part of the United Kingdom and part of the Commonwealth where the Republic of Ireland are not, but the, and Northern Ireland compete separately. So I wonder if the entire island team will be given the option to compete for under the Cricket Island or the Northern Ireland banner and whether you know, that means they can take up that that ranking spot that may mean that they get
0: uh, they get a Guernsey. Yeah, that would be quite interesting, you know, going on rankings and then awarding the rankings position to a team that doesn't exist on the rankings table, i.e. Northern Ireland, Who, um, where, you know, with with the island of Ireland, like in most sports in cricket, they play as a combined team. I think football, uh, soccer is one of the only sports where they play as, as the two separate nations. But yes, I think, I mean, the the, the Commonwealth Games, it, it's basically a trial run, isn't it? So, if it goes well, hopefully they'll expand it and, um, you know, see it as an opportunity to get more teams involved and, and maybe subsidize it a bit more. You know, it's unfortunate that, you know, your your team couldn't go. Uh, Vanuatu, a, a player like Selena Solman, um, even just at a qualifier, you know, she's a charismatic figure on the field and, um, you know, I think having more Opportunity to, to watch her and, and have her on a, on a m- kind of more, you know, on the spotlight would be good. Teams having to pay their own way. Yeah, as, as I said, it's an experiment at this stage. Um, so hopefully Commonwealth Games, Olympics, other multi-sport events, we can see more women's cricket being played and more women's associate cricket being played. Because you know, as we constantly say, it's a great growth opportunity for the sport and it's great for women to be having this opportunity to, to lead the way for cricket. And for our final story of the week, we have another uh, qualifier that has been uh, leaked. Uh, The T20 World Cup qualifying groups have come out through the South China Morning Post uh, in Hong Kong. Your old friends over there somehow a... Well, it wasn't marked confidential, so I guess (laughs) they, they were allowed to give it to the newspaper. I don't know. But anyway, we found out that in remembering that the global qualifier has been split into two kind of mini tournaments, Group A and Group B. Uh, So, group A, hosted by Oman in February, got Ireland, Oman, UAE, Nepal, Canada, Germany, Bahrain, and the Philippines. And in group B... We have Zimbabwe, who are the hosts, and and this is being played in July, joined by Netherlands, USA, Papua New Guinea, Hong Kong, Jersey, Singapore, and Uganda. These groups are kind of interesting. I can't really make head or tails of what the basis for splitting the teams up was. Uh, It doesn't seem to be done on rankings. It doesn't seem to have been done on previous results. It doesn't seem to have been done on anything, really. So, there's kind of a strange balance in in both groups. You know, Group A, uh, there's three teams you would think are significantly weaker and five pretty evenly matched teams. And then group B, there's a bit more, you know, anyone could kind of beat anyone, but there's a couple of clear front runners in the USA and Zimbabwe with the Netherlands potentially having some player selection issues, which we can talk about in a sec. But uh, my first takeaway is that clearly the ICC learnt some lessons from 2018 with hosting stuff in Zimbabwe, July in zimbabwe has literally zero average rain days so they've gone for the dry season which i think is a good move yeah it's a week of leaks
1: isn't it (laughs) very interesting and you say that about the apparent strength of the teams yeah look within that side we we know that uganda wasn't at the the most recent world cup qualifiers in 2019 and the men with uh, nigeria taking zimbabwe's place after they were suspended and we know that was great for cricket's growth for a country 200 million people but they did get lucky in that qualified tournament where rain had affected their matches against the let's say the stronger teams um but to see that you sort of round out that group you know you, you didn't even mention png as a, a team of strength and they've just come from a world cup hong kong we know the talent that that they have jersey tell you what like they always i'm not even surprised anymore to see them scare big teams in qualifying events they just seem a very well drilled team that Each player knows their role and they just get out and do it. Singapore, well, if Tim David's not playing for Australia, he's going to have a huge role to play. And Uganda came through that tournament recently uh, with flying colours to be here. So that is the group of death. You know, USA didn't get through the regionals last time and now we're talking about them as a team up there fighting for those two spots. And we've got to say that from each of those eight team qualifiers only two will progress filling out the final four in the 16 team men's t20 world cup in october in australia we don't know what the format is going to be yet we're thinking there may be two groups of four with a similar format to the women's t20 qualifier back in 2019 when thailand and bangladesh progressed with you know each little pool of four playing each other and then the top two playing crossovers and the winner of those two crossovers making it to the final but also progressing but I'll tell you what I think it was Bertus in, um on WhatsApp today you know it's pretty hard there if you win three games by 150 runs but then lose your crossover by one run and, and, and you're out where at an eight team event like this you can have a single round robin done in under 10 days being able to play you know two T20s a day on each ground, you could actually get through and you'd actually have a chance to play either side. Do you, you have any insight on the on the format, Nick?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's all kind of speculation at this point. I really hope they do go with the round-robin format because, yeah, as you say, playing... And, I mean, it's a long way to go to, to play three matches and then potentially just get dumped out. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a lot riding on that. And one of the things that the ICC was trying to do, especially... Richard Doan, when when he was still there, one of the key points of a lot of the recent kind of restructuring a couple of years ago was to have more consistent play and and to take results from more consistent matches rather than having you know, all or nothing matches where you, if, if you lose this, you're out. Yeah, so, I, and I mean, you know, looking at it just as a format in terms of entertainment, the global qualifier format was very good and it was a very good tournament. So, I just find it a bit strange that they've gone down this route of cutting it down and, and making it a bit smaller and presumably cheaper. Do we have any information on the financials for the 2019 qualifier? Because I know we talk about a lot. The 2015 qualifier made a, a small profit, but, you know, it didn't lose money. So, it doesn't really... You know, if it's not losing money, it doesn't make sense to me for them to be stingy with the qualifiers and cutting down one of their better tournaments and making it worse if they're not even, you know, potentially losing money. So, yeah, I just find this kind of muddled decision making a bit strange
1: yeah well speaking of decision making i know we love talking about rankings you know in that group b that we have just talked about rounded out with hong kong jersey singapore uganda singapore's ranked 20 jersey's ranked 23 hong kong 24 uganda 25 so that's the lowest ranked side in group b is uganda at 25 if we look at the other group rounded out with germany bahrain and the philippines germany's ranked 33 Bahrain's ranked 34, and the Philippines are ranked 46. It doesn't really make sense to me that you'd have teams balanced like that, or so unbalanced. You'd think there'd be a mix of, of sides across those rankings. You know, we, since we've used rankings so often in, in other situations, it's a little bit gobsmacking for me that, that it's, it's broken up like this. And I know that there's a little bit of unrest from from certain teams in that Group B that they've been put in, which is ostensibly the Group of Death. When in Group A, you've already said it that there, there's a real gap between the top five and and the bottom three, and we all know anything can happen in tournament cricket. And not taking away from those three teams at all, but it does seem quite strange the way that those those teams have stacked. Like, I don't think it's a random draw either. It doesn't. I don't. I can't imagine something like this is literally balls in a pot. You know, the only ones that should have been guaranteed are the hosts in those particular countries and then everything else from there should have worked through well i, I hate to say it should have worked through on rankings but maybe the positions at the, the world cup just finished and then on rankings but it just doesn't doesn't seem to work out but you talk about the financials um i think it's been reported that the 2015 qualifier was a roaring success with the the broadcast that they did at scotland and, and ireland i think it was a real hero event for associate cricket because it was all associate cricket there you know back then ireland and afghanistan were both at that event were still associates the the time in 2019 again, was great with the broadcast um, and how that was handled. A little bit different in that you didn't have the huge crowds there for the qualifier that you, you had in Ireland for the Irish Games anyway, and it didn't have that sort of same sort of village feel, and who knows what the cost of those stadiums are to, to hire, but um, speaking of, of finances, it seems like we're going to be getting the same streaming arrangement that has been going for the women's event and for the previous Pathway events Oh no. as opposed to what we've had in 2015 which i think was tim anderson's baby and that he argued for it to be done properly and proper app and be broadcast i remember being there and watching on sky when we were sort of in the hotel and people sitting there watching all oh, who are these countries and then in 2019 the same it was broadcast on fox and all everywhere around the world with a full broadcast quality if We are continuing with the broadcast quality that we saw in Zimbabwe. I think it is a huge step backwards and almost undoes all of the the work of getting any other cricket broadcast. When the chance for these teams to be out there playing with that broadcast quality and for the game itself to be shown to people at that same level that they watch other teams. You're not watching some grainy stream from a camera that seems like it's a long way away with commentators that don't know... Well, you know, apart from Andrew Leonard, who we know how well researched he is, but are, are too aware of the context. And as we, you know, on the flip side, I guess in the last T Twenty World Cup qualifier, we had commentators who were very aware of where where players were born <laughs> because they were reading them straight from the cricket info pro- profiles, and that was all they all they knew. But look, I I hope this is going to change. But with the next tournament in February, if we get the same quality streaming on ICC tv and with similar commentary i'm going to be really disappointed i think it's a, a huge own goal for the development of cricket especially since t20 has been highlighted again as as the growth vehicle and whilst i'm not a huge fan of the men's and women's tournaments getting a different treatment in the sense that i'm saying that i want the men's to get a better treatment than what the, the women's did i would actually want both to get the proper broadcast level treatment but the fact is that the men's has already had it and and now if it's not going to wow Look, I guess in some ways it will make... Some of us want to travel to these events more because it won't be as easy to watch, but that should not be the reason that we're looking forward to dreaming at the level that we've seen for other Pathway events.
0: Well, it's like the um, the mean-spirited genie where you know you, you wish for equality between the men's and women's tournaments. <laughs> and, oh, you want equality? Okay. Well, now both of them are going to have the dodgy 3 cameras stream. <laughs> With someone
1: referring to, well done by the batter and is caught by the fielder.
0: Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, I I don't think that's the way to go. And and, yeah, as I said, I I mean, clearly the whole point of splitting these tournaments into two groups of eight and then potentially into groups of four. Yeah, ostensibly it's to save money, which, okay, fine. But if you're going to do that, at least get a decent stream because the one that has been used for um, ICC TV in a number of events it's just not been good enough and if if you are cheaping out on these tournaments and you know making them actively worse i I just don't understand how that can possibly be helping you what what is the point of having such a bad stream that just drops out all the time you know that just makes the game look worse really i mean if you're not showing it at all I don't know is, which is worse I, I, I can't figure it out no
1: and we know that in the past the ICC or at least there are elements of the ICC who were not keen to stream this level of cricket anyway because of the apparent or reported level of cricket and I hate to see some of those fears almost come true but not through the level of cricket but because of the quality of the stream and I think ultimately and look we're not in our Pat Malone's here there are people that on the that know that the improvements need to be made and and work's being done. But I think it's a it's we still need to talk about it because the point of this, we're trying to grow the interest and love for the game. You know, we're not just trying to get desperados like you and me who know where the game's on to go and click on the app and go and watch it and be happy with the fact we could only watch one game at once and it's crappy quality how's that going to attract a new fan of the game or how is it going to get someone who's who's sort of on the edge without an app that has has context and match centers and replays and the and the actual game staying up afterwards so you know that's just the pathway tournaments in general but for what was the signature event of emerging cricket because you know now that we have you now we're going to have two two full members at this event and they've got sponsorship deals and their sponsors are going to be wanting a certain level of quality especially in what what is a global event and we've already been told by at least one country in these qualifiers that they had a, a large sponsor on the line who when hearing of the quality of the stream that that has now been communicated to the to the to the member that they've now pulled out saying well that's not what we're looking for so it actually does harm to the game because that's a that's an opportunity for these sides who wouldn't get the chance normally, and a, and a lot of them wouldn't, to be broadcast at that in that quality, and that also means the opportunity to have a broadcast in their the home country to a, a level of which the sports that they're going up against so it's just wrong on so many levels and and again i opened with the equality piece and i'll close with it in the fact that the women's event is not at the same level as also beyond suboptimal especially again since we've just had a growth strategy come out about how it's you know female forward and, and rightfully so it should just not be up for debate if it's a it's a world cup qualifier women's or men's it should just be broadcast to this quality and then hopefully it's a little bit different right under 19s because we don't have global qualifiers we've only got regional ones but if we get to the point where it's global ones for that then be raising the standards there too we no matter what we shouldn't be going backwards
0: yeah absolutely and just one final little story that came out of it the netherlands being placed in that group b in in july uh, that doesn't line up very well with their super league timing and of course it's the middle of the county season so yeah, I, I don't know. They're, how are they going to field a good team? You know, Are they going to have to field a B team or, or a C team? Or I, I don't know. Because if they're playing against England a week before this, if there's quarantine going to Zimbabwe, are the players going to double up or are they going to be able to get them released for this long from the counties? Or Yeah, I, I'm not sure how they're going to manage playing effectively two series at once uh, when they have trouble getting the county players uh, even for one series, let alone two.
1: Yeah, so it's not like the start of the T20 World Cup proper when India, who had games running straight up to the start of the um, event, were able to go there and play their practice games because there was a round one. (laughs) But I don't think the Netherlands are going to be able to do that, you know, as you said, with a week before. And yeah, uh, I would like to think that all teams had been consulted about the the timing of these things, and especially since the Netherlands-England series has been in the diaries for quite a while, considering a lot of their series were postponed. So, yeah, I'm. But there are enough problems in the Netherlands at the moment, apart from trying to get issues around player release sorted at the same time with potentially two series running into each other, or at least the point or the extent that playing 50 over cricket up until within a week of a, of a global event, and that's not even just a, a kind of a complaint of, well, you know, you should just be used to it. It's like, uh, no, that's that's not fair.
0: Well, and again, it's diminishing the product. You know, you, instead of having a, one of the top associate teams playing with their best side, they're going to potentially have to put out a B team. And then, same with the Super League. I know, I know it's binned, but it's still an opportunity for Dutch cricket to be exposed on on the biggest stage. You know, playing against England with the Barmy Army travelling, um, you know, all of that atmosphere in the Netherlands. That's a great opportunity for them to showcase Dutch cricket to a Dutch audience in the home summer. Mm. And then if they're not able to get their best team on the field there, you know, do they just play a a, a B team for that series but try to get their best field for the World Cup qualifier? I mean, this is the kind of choice that you shouldn't have to make, really. Yeah, same as what
1: we're talking about—the stream for the World Cup qualifier, T well, Twenty World Cup qualifier. It's all about how you're presenting the product and and the and the quality of that product, and and especially when these things are in your control. Literally about scheduling from a global event point of view. Let's forget the point that the Super League now is useless apart from that top four trying to get straight into the to the men's World Cup qualifier. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm hoping there's more news to come on this because it is quite a while away but I'm I'm sure that Netherlands would have been a lot happier being in that group A in in, in place of uh, even one of those other five sides or maybe even one of the, the lower ranked sides Germany, Bahrain and the Philippines to be getting those games out in February
0: Yeah and, and you know, obviously that would make a lot more sense with the way the, the county season lines up and where the bulk of their uh, first choice players are playing Um and that just about does it for us this week tim uh thanks a lot for joining me holding the fort with uh with bez swamped at the moment uh hopefully things keep going well for you in vanuatu thank you very much sir and thank you for everything you continue to do the hours you put into this podcast
1: i think appreciated by everyone but the hundreds of thousands of people that that listen to knowing that you are slaving away there for nothing (laughs) but the love of, of ec so thank you to you and uh well love to everyone out there as we approach the uh, the festive season but especially daniel beswick sitting there in his little hotel room in melbourne covering <laughs> two versions of the sport for two different companies he's just like the secret agent whilst also writing for us so um and i know he loves listening he likes to watch um, <laughs> when he's not part of it so uh, hopefully he's got this far and we love you Bes.
0: That's the show for this week. Thanks a lot for tuning in once again. And if you liked it, please do leave a review and a positive rating on your favorite podcast app as it really helps us to get the word out. Bye for now.